0: Today, we've got a bonus podcast to reflect the current debate about statues and reassessing historical figures that's unfolding in the news. With recent protests from the Black Lives Matter movement, attention has been focused on many historical figures and their involvement in the slave trade. One figure who is coming under interrogation is Sir Francis Drake. BBC History Magazine content director Dave Musgrove called Professor Claire Jowett of the University of East Anglia to talk about Drake. His lifetimes and reputation. Professor Jowett has also written a feature on this topic, which you can find on our website at historyextra.com forward slash Francis Drake slavery.
3: Sir Francis Drake is one of the most famous figures in English history Uh, Elizabethan explorer and global circumnavigator, hero of the Armada, famously insouciant lawn green bowler, pirate and slave trader. And it's the latter part of his career that is exciting interest at the moment, with calls for his statue on the hoe at Plymouth and in his birthplace of Tavistock to be removed. Um, There's a petition about it, and the petition, uh, the opening uh, sentence of the petition reads, Francis Drake and his cousin John Hawkins were not only slave traders, but pioneers of the British slave trade. So it's time to have a think about Drake, and indeed John Hawkins were involved in this trade, and how their activities fitted into the wider Elizabethan and early modern age. So I'm joined by Professor Claire Jowett from the University of East Anglia, who is an expert on early modern maritime culture, and she's written a lot uh, about pirates and piracy. She's been on the podcast before, and she's written for BBC History magazine in the past about Tudor pirates and privateers. She's author of many books and articles, but her most recent work is a collection of 24 essays, uh, The Routledge Companion to Marine and Maritime Worlds, 1400 to 1800, which is co-edited with Craig Lambert and Steve Mentz, and is... Just out or will be out very soon?
2: It's out in ebook, and the published version will be available next month in all good bookstores.
3: Okay, so in July 2020 this will be out. Okay, so uh, Claire, thank you very much for joining us.
2: It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, thank you.
3: Okay, so can we start off with uh, a, a quick potted history of Sir Francis Drake. Who was he, what's he most famous for and, and, and how did he get involved in the slave trade?
2: Of course. Um, And I I think your top line was was really uh, very informative. I think that's exactly right. The Oxford Dictionary of National Biography describes him as a a, a pirate, a sea captain and an explorer, but um, that that, that his his, um, activities as a slave trader are also absolutely fundamental to uh, his career. Um, He... uh, was born in 1540 uh, to a a yeoman uh, family, uh, but was uh, well connected to the maritime families of of, uh, Devon um, and through that uh, uh, established his his career at at sea um, and famously, of course, um, was... uh, involved in the in the armada crisis of 1588 but before that he was um uh, only the second uh, uh man to successfully circumnavigate the globe and the first english man to uh, to to do that um so that's really what what he's 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 most known for and of course for the uh, major amounts of treasure that he uh stole uh, as a pirate and as a privateer, from Spain, the superpower of the day.
3: And so what about the slave trading aspect then?
2: Uh, well, this is very much part of his, his early career. Um, he is involved in at least three uh, uh, big voyages uh, to the west coast of Africa with his uh, kinsman, uh, Sir John uh, Hawkins, um And uh, through those activities, he is is part of the first um, British uh, slave trading ventures. And that's part of a trade triangle where um, English exports are circulated. So so slaves are captured on West Africa. Those uh, slaves are then shipped as as cargo uh, to the New World um, and then uh, treasure and, and other goods hides are, are taken back to, to Europe. Um, so he's, it's, it's a violent, bloody, um, uh, awful part of uh, uh, English imperial and colonial history.
3: And so we've talked about um Sir John Hawkins a couple of times there we should say a bit more about him who was he and uh, and what's how does he sort of connect with with Drake
2: Uh well well Hawkins's family are as I say a, a prominent maritime family of the West Country William Hawkins John's father uh, was a prominent Plymouth merchant and a, and a ship owner um and he is the first Englishman to establish that triangular Uh, transatlantic trade. Um, So 30 years before John Hawkins and and Drake are are involved in the slave trade, um, William Hawkins is uh, part of uh, uh, this transatlantic trade between uh, England and uh, 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 West Africa and Brazil, Um, and he's trading goods such as cloth, hatchets, knives... Uh, lead, combs uh, for ivory and gold and pepper in Africa Um, and then on the return voyages uh, crossing the Atlantic to the coast of Brazil uh, where he's buying local produce including a very valuable commodity of the time Brazil wood uh, which is used in the dyeing industry and this is a really lucrative trade in the 1530s Um, But Brazil is owned by Portugal in this period of history. So it is an illegal, piratical trade that William Hawkins, John's father, is involved in. And the family are very much, um, you know, adventurers, swashbucklers, but violent um, and, and prepared to take risks to make money.
3: OK, so the, the transatlantic slave trade that develops um, and, and which, which um, uh, Hawkins, Sir John Hawkins and Drake become involved with, that is actually born out of a, a, a non-slave based uh, maritime trading culture.
2: In, in England it is, but um, other European nation states, uh, in particular the Portuguese, have by the point in history that uh, William Hawkins is undertaking a transatlantic uh Uh, trade uh, have a very well established slaving uh, trade um, where after Henry the navigator of Portugal sails down the coast of Africa in the 15th century, um, the Pope, it's Pope Nicholas V, gives Portugal the rights to trade for slaves in West Africa as long as all those slaves are converted to Catholicism. Um, So that trade is is fully up and running from the uh, the mid fifteenth century onwards, and very lucrative for Portugal. Um, so that's how uh, labour is supplied to to Brazil for the Portuguese, but also slave markets of Lisbon become the point where other European uh, colonial nations, primarily the Spanish, uh, uh, start to uh, buy the slaves that they need for their colonial activities in other parts of um, the Spanish Main and the West Indies.
3: Okay, so the trade is established, England becomes involved um, via Hawkins and and, and others, uh, uh, but England is not presumably a big player in this transatlantic slave trade in the 16th century.
2: That's exactly right. England is not a big player in colonial or imperial history in the 16th century, but it's ambitious uh, to to become so. After um, the Pope uh, donated... Through the Treaty of Tordesillas in the late 15th century, both the supposedly newly discovered uh, New World of, of America uh, and other yet to be discovered uh, regions to the Iberian nations. They were split between spain and portugal the northern european nations who were excluded from that donation were competitively determined through actions like piracy to get their sort of stake within the colonial and imperial uh, wealth that was coming from that new world and other distant regions and of course. The bullion in particular that was coming from South America was crucial uh, to activities across Europe because it made the countries that got that bullion immensely powerful. They could fight war at home uh, on a different scale from countries that didn't benefit from those, that, that, those levels of resourcing.
3: Okay. Um- so, so, so John Hawkins and Drake sort of hook into this, this uh, existing network. Um, uh, and I, I suppose, obviously, the, the transatlantic slave trade and the people involved in that, that's uh, abhorrent to us today. It's, it's a nefarious practice. But clearly, there are people at either end of that uh, trade as well, um, supplying the slaves and buying the slaves. So we've got people, uh, I don't know how they're acquiring the slaves in Africa and I don't know who they are selling them to at their end destination.
2: Okay. Um, so uh, there are a, a number of slave traders that become established down the west coast of Africa, the, the Portuguese. It also involves some indigenous groups there have been war between uh, indigenous groups on the west coast of Africa. Uh, the, the slave traders take advantage of that because obviously there are captives from war that are then sold to the slave traders. And what Drake and Hawkins do is a mixture of hunting black West Africans, hunting them down uh uh, destroying their villages, um, murdering and treating people absolutely terribly, uh, extraordinarily violent uh, kind of uh, behaviours, and also um, uh, trading with the Portuguese that have got, um, you know, uh, a, a system themselves of capturing people. Um, and what's quite interesting within those kind of dynamics is that the Portuguese uh, traders are officially banned from trading with uh, interlopers, uh, such as Drake and, and and Hawkins. But so... Uh, when they say that drake and hawkins have attacked them uh and stolen their cargoes that may very well be true but it also may be uh, a, a ruse so that to their authorities they don't look like they've been colluding with the enemy
3: okay okay so it's a it's a complicated picture here with uh, with some uh with some different things going on i'm just wondering, just in terms of of shipping, of of actually getting the the ships and and their cargo, their human cargo across the sea. Um, I have a view of Tudor sailing ships of not being enormously big. Perhaps I'm uh, perhaps I'm wrong about that, but um, we're talking quite a few people being crammed onto these ships. So presumably, it's it's an extremely unpleasant experience.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's um, uh, the conditions in which people are are transported are truly horrific. Um, uh, a, a number uh, will die on the journey people are treated as as cargo simply as merchandise to be uh transported as cheaply and as quickly as possible to uh the destinations in in the new world where just as there is a complicated picture uh when uh the the the, the slaves are captured and enslaved in africa there's also quite a complicated picture about how um, the, the, the human contents of these ships are merchandised and sold uh, within the New World, that colonists there really need the labour that uh, West African slaves provide because within the Caribbean by the turn of the 16th century, within South America, indigenous populations in America are d- decimated uh, both by the atrocious treatment that uh, conquerors and conquistadors have have meted out to them, but also, of course, from from invisible bullets from the European and indeed African diseases against which they had no immunity. So there's a real need for labour within colonial uh, uh, terrains um, and Though, again, someone like Hawkins or Drake uh, should not be traded with by the Iberians, and they might have to make it look like they've been uh, forced to, to to make those trades. Um, it, it, it's very likely that actually that, is, again, is a camouflage, a smokescreen. OK, so Drake and
3: Hawkins must have been pretty... Uh, for, for all the uh, uh, unpleasantness, what they did, they must have been pretty canny, wily operators to to make this a success. Um, were they, so they did the free voyages. Were all those, uh, the, the free journeys that they did, were they all successful commercially? Did they achieve what they set out to do?
2: Uh, yes. I think the profits to be, to be garnered here were immense. So even when, in financial terms, things went wrong, um, you know, Hawkins overreaches himself on, on some occasions. Um, so on the first slaving voyage, not only does he uh, he send back the three English ships that he has back to England, loaded with money and, and, and treasure and hides, but he tries to break in legitimately to this uh, trade monopoly that, that that the Iberians have got by sending uh extra ships to um one to Seville one to Lisbon and those ships are seized and he later says that this costs him 20,000 pounds but nevertheless even with that loss this is a very lucrative voyage on the third voyage um this is the last voyage um, and this is when the Spanish uh, in, in, in what is now Mexico attack um, uh, Hawkins and, and, and Drake's ships um, and uh, only two of the ships managed to return from this third voyage but nevertheless, even then, with uh, a major loss... Um, uh, in terms of 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 the, of the ships and the amount of, of bullion they're capturing uh, uh, um that they've got that still makes a profit
3: and and the the profits they made as you as you pointed out just then were were um sizable and sizable enough to attract the attention of uh, of of the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, and her courtiers um, uh, back in uh, back in London. Um, so, what 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 do we know of what the Elizabethan state thought about this activity? And I think it's quite interesting that you, um, you've written a, a piece for for the for the websites about this, and you talk about the fact that uh, Queen Elizabeth and Dudley Robert Dudley, her, uh, her her favorite for much of her reign, the Earl of Leicester, were active backers, shareholders, even in this enterprise.
2: That's right. That's right. Um- because the profits from the first voyage were so spectacular, um, you're quite right. This is what attracts the attention of the most prominent uh, uh, men and women in England at the time. And the queen uh, 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 gives uh, or allows Hawkins to lease uh, a ship, the Jesus of Lubeck from uh, her. Um, and also um, he is a, uh, Allowed to uh, fly the Royal Standard on on the voyage, so it's a real mark that the that that this voyage is uh, absolutely central to the foreign policy of. Elizabethan England, not only were the most prominent courtiers involved with it, but um, William Cecil, Secretary of State, is clearly involved uh, in overseeing uh, the kind of uh, activities uh, and, and organisation behind the scenes of, of this, the second and indeed the third voyage. And Sorry, this question just occurs to me. Does that mean that Queen
3: Elizabeth I and her uh, her court should be tarred with the same brush as Drake in terms of, of being slave traders, or is that going too far?
2: No, I think that's absolutely right. Um, uh, early modern Elizabethan men and women uh, were not offended by the idea of uh, the slave trade. They believed by and large, um, that enslaving with this uh, idea of conversion was uh, imbuing the uh, enslaved people with everlasting life, uh, access to the kingdom of heaven, and therefore that justified um, the loss of their land, their freedom um, uh, uh, their livelihoods, because that exchange um, was giving them something that would last for eternity, whereas it was just a temporal um, uh, exchange that the enslaved people were 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 giving. I mean that's a, that's a
3: very interesting um, point of view, isn't it? Uh, a very interesting observation you make there um, that, that they were basically justifying uh, this through means of, of Christianity. Do you think it's probably very hard to tell this from the doctrines. Do you, do you think they they believed that, or was that a justification for something that they? Believed to be morally uh, incorrect.
2: I again, I think you're right. It's very difficult to to, to say on a case by case basis. Certainly, as part of Drake's mythography, his uh, Protestantism um, uh, was something that he actively wanted to be uh, worked into into that view of himself, um, but. There is no particular evidence that he was um, a highly religious man. Um, It it, it appears for the most part uh, that religion is being being used for business, effectively, um, within both Drake and Hawkins. They have a, a flexible attitude to religion. Hawkins, for instance, when he's trading... In the, in the 1550s, in the Canary Islands, which are controlled by Spain, that's in the Malmsey the sweet wine trade, is reported to be very comfortable attending mass because that oils the wheels of commerce. And yet, he is a Protestant. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. The, the, the sick are products of the bloody... Uh, and, and violent 16th century and they are also creators of a bloody and violent 17th century and 18th century.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot slash history extra.
1: Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by Nitsa.
3: Um, so uh, we talked about the journeys that the the, um, the the journeys that they did, the free journeys, and the last one um, having having the problems at the end. Um, and then the the slave slave trading activities basically paused after that. That was the last Tudor um, adventures into this area. Is that right? Uh, and how long? Uh, why did, why did why did people not carry on doing it after that?
2: Um, the Anglo-Spanish uh, diplomatic relations after uh, the, the the third uh, slaving voyage, where Spain attacked uh, Hawkins's fleet um, became part and parcel of that 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 growing uh, demand for um, uh, for an explicit attack on Spanish. Uh, possessions rather than a than a coded uh a, a attack that the slave trade was uh, was 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 making and England goes to war in in 1585 but it's 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 there's an undeclared war in many ways going on much much earlier than that and John Hawkins and Drake after that experience uh in on the third voyage are uh, Extremely hostile to to Spain. Uh, Drake leaves, um, and this causes problems with his relationship with with Hawkins. Uh, he, he he gets back separately to England from the the attack uh, uh, in in um, San Juan de Ola, um, and uh, both of them are furious um, about. The, the losses that they have sustained, notwithstanding that overall the voyage makes a profit, they see all that they've lost um, and they effectively declare war on Spain, you know, years before uh, England formally goes to war. So attention really uh, uh, turns And then there's the the circumnavigation of 1577 to 1580 that that, that Drake leads. Uh, And again, that is uh, about attacking the the, the Spanish uh, in the New World in in a way that they were not expecting. Because by being able to go through the Magellan Straits, Drake is... uh, uh, going from the Atlantic into the Pacific and by being on the Pacific seaboard on these undefended parts of the Spanish Empire, he's able to run amok. And that's how he manages to get so much bullion from that circumnavigation because it's just not expected. So uh, the focus is on direct attack Against Spain, rather than the, the the slave trade, which is an attack on Spain, but not in quite such a, 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 a an open way.
3: Okay, so we've got these free slaving voyages in the 1560s, and then English um, uh, activity in in slave trading doesn't happen again until we get into the into the 17th century. Is there? Um, you're an expert in in in, in the whole field of, of maritime history. Do you see any particular differences between these early examples of slave trading and, and the and the more famous uh, later transatlantic slave trade that through which so many lives were horribly um, uh, altered um, through through the shipping of, of people from uh, Africa to America?
2: Uh, in scale, yes, but 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 not in terms of the. Um, worldview that allows enslavement of of others um, for uh, colonial mercantile uh, advantage. So I think this is truly the origin in Britain of what becomes a a major industry uh, and a major part of uh, the, the building of the British Empire, and these three voyages show how lucrative, um, but how dangerous and how violent uh, those activities are. So I, I think they are harbingers of of that that later huge industry industrial scale. Slave trading that Britain uh, takes part in. So, so
3: Sir Francis Drake and Sir John Hawkins—they deserve the infamy then of being uh, uh, acknowledged as England's first slave traders. You think that's a, a justifiable um, thing to say about them?
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. But it's not the full story of of their lives. But it's no. a very yeah. important part of of. The, the, the They are products of the bloody uh, and and violent 16th century, and they are also creators of a bloody and violent 17th century and 18th century.
3: I mean, the typical refrain is that, you know, if someone has done something which uh, we consider today to be um, uh, abhorrent, it's that they would be operating within the, the social norms of the day. They were men of their time. Um, it sounds as if you're what you're saying is, yes, they were but perhaps also they went further than, than, than others. Is that, um, is that a fair assessment or I, I think in your they mouth?
2: were yes, I think that is a fair assessment. I think they were ambitious. They were men that made things happen um, and uh, they are men that uh, uh, at the same time as defended England and remember England is a, a backwater um, uh, against the might, of the superpower of the day, the Spanish Armada, and they were brave, they were resourceful, they are leaders of men. But at the same time, those kinds of qualities also mean that they are um, instigators in patterns of behaviour that that are inhumane um, uh, and create further inhumanity.
3: So I think for a lot of people certainly in England um uh today this this story will be slightly surprising maybe not so much now with all the conversation going on but for a lot of people Drake is still a, uh, a, a an unalloyed adventure hero someone you know to be celebrated as a sea captain an explorer uh the the you know the armada guy and even his piratical activities. You know, celebrated to, to some extent and uh, and glorified for their adventurous aspects. So so why is that? Why why don't we know this story as much as we do? Or well, maybe we do. maybe it's just me.
2: <laughs> I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think it is. Um, well, I think the 19th century in particular, the the great uh, the, the looked for precursors to uh, the attitudes. To empire and to expansionism, um, and found in the Elizabethan sea dogs what they considered to be kindred spirits. So it's so it's no uh, co- co- coincidence that many of the the statues that are being talked about now, which you mentioned at, at, at the top of our discussion, were um, put up in in the 19th century. The 19th century is is a a, a time. That that constructs its vision of the world on great man history Drake, uh, less so Hawkins, but Drake um, with that circumnavigation and that which is a, an extraordinary achievement. Drake had an extraordinary life. That's absolutely true. Um, but but uh, that comes a, a terrible terrible cost but it's the 19th century in particular that colors even today our view of the past and is there something peculiar to the
3: um to our um uh, national psyche in England and, and I guess more broadly in Britain about us being an island nation and, and all that that means that we um uh, give a bit more leeway to to the to the sea dogs to the maritime heroes
2: um yes I think that's that's also a uh, a view of plucky little Britain David against the monolithic monstrous Goliath of of the Iberian domination and it's not just uh England though that is p- oppositional it's the other nor- northern european states as well um so while I think that that um view of, of 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 you know little englanders is one version uh, also there is a, 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 a an alliance between uh protestants against the iberians because of course the 16th century in particular is uh, a century of of wars of religion um in particular with the, the schism with rome and the reformation uh that the protestants the protestant league um against the iberians so there are there are different stories there are different narratives at, at work here but certainly england's island identity is very much part of that mix
3: okay last question as we wrap up and this is a question that uh, that may well date very quickly um uh, depending on what happens with, with these statue discussions but um as, as an expert in this area, what's your view on whether that statue of Drake, uh, the famous one uh, on Plymouth Hoe overlooking overlooking uh, the, the, the sea there, whether that should stand?
2: Thank you for asking me that. I, I suspect you're right that, that 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 this will date quickly, but um, I think it should stay. But I think context and uh, understanding the history in all its violence and its bloodiness should be part and parcel of the way in which Drake and indeed Hawkins are remembered. So at the moment we have in those statues, Drake with a globe, Drake um, with a sword. Um, We have, for instance, the National Portrait Gallery picture of 1581 of, of Drake and his hand is on Africa. We need to tell those Stories. We need to contextualise them better. We don't want our school children just to think that Drake played a damn good game of bowls. We need to understand what the real uh, dynamic of that 16th century history actually was. So, recontextualising statues within museum context, but also actually in, in the public in the public domain, open for everybody to debate what our history actually was, is very important
3: okay well hopefully this um this this podcast will 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 help in some small measure to do that as well so um professor Claire jarrett thank you so much for your time um as i said the book that you've just been working on uh the routledge companion to marine and maritime worlds 1400 to 1800 is well worth a look it's got lots of very interesting articles which add a lot of context to the to the to the much bigger story there so so worth a look there and and you've written that piece for our website historyextra.com. so uh, um, i hope listeners will go there and have a look at that as well um but but uh, claire thank you you so much for your time it's a pleasure
0: that was professor claire jowett the routledge companion to marine and maritime worlds 1400 to 1800 which claire has co-edited with craig lambert and steve mentz will be published soon you can also read professor jowett's feature on drake and tudor slavery on our website you'll find that at historyextra.com forward slash francis hyphen drake hyphen slavery Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. Join us next tomorrow when I'll be speaking to David Carpenter about the medieval king, Henry III.